Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Business Leadership Today podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tenney. As an active CEO of two companies, my goal is to build and sustain world-class organizations that make a positive impact on the lives of employees and on the global community. I have a lot of questions regarding how we can continuously get better at this and achieve our goals. And through this podcast, we reach out to top thought leaders to get their answers to those questions. And we give you the opportunity to listen to their answers too. This episode is part of a series we're doing on how to build a high performance culture that doesn't burn people out. My guest today is a perfect fit for this series. Her name is Karen Hurt. Karen's work focuses on helping leaders drive innovation, productivity, and revenue all without burning out employees. After two decades as an executive at Verizon, Karen and her husband, David, co-founded Let's Grow Leaders, a training firm focused on human-centered leadership development. And since 2013, Karen and David have helped over 10,000 leaders in 14 countries to build sustainable, high-performance team cultures. Karen is also an award-winning author of four books, including her most recent book, Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. I am extremely excited to hear Karen's unique insights based on the pattern she's discovered working with so many leaders and teams, as well as her commitment to truly caring about and serving others. Karen, thank you very much for being here. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for, for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. I'm super excited to hear what you have to say today. Now, in a moment, Karen, I'm going to ask you to share your thoughts on the 10 most important things that a leader needs to do to create a high-performance culture that's not going to burn employees out. Before we explore those, though, there's a great story in Chapter 6 of your book, Courageous Cultures, about how your team at Verizon innovated their way out of a demoralizing situation. Would you please introduce us to your thoughts by sharing that story with us? All right. So yeah, first, let me give you a little bit of context because I had been in HR for the first decade of my career at Verizon. So leadership development, organizational development and training, everything but comp. Then I moved into call centers and 95% of my team were women. And then I get moved into leading a 2,200 person sales team. Now, here's the thing. I had never sold anything except for some Girl Scout cookies, and I wasn't even particularly good at that. 13 out of 14 of my direct reports were men. 14 out of 14 had been in retail sales for their entire career. Oh, man. And they are looking at me like, why are you here? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and so, but that actually wasn't the really tricky situation. What mm. was really a problem was that all of a sudden, out of the blue, this thing called the iPhone has, uh, has, is on the market and Verizon is not allowed to sell it. Uh, so AT&T has exclusive rights. You may, may remember this time. Some of your listeners may remember this time. So there, there are lines of customers coming out of my doors in all my stores. I had 110 stores. But they weren't there to buy phones. They were there to find out when their contract was up so they could port their line to AT&T. Oh, man. And my team is looking at me like, we have nothing to sell. Mm. They were so demoralized. And now they've got this new leader 
and they, you know, they don't believe in her. And so it's, it was, it was really a, one of the most challenging situations of my career. But I know one thing, right? I did not have a lot of sales experience, but I, I do know about culture and I do know about leading large teams. And I know one thing about salespeople, if they think they can't sell, they can't sell, so, <laughs> yeah. right? So we had to change their mindset. Right. So I thought, okay, so of all these people, somebody must be selling something, right? So I asked my data <laughs> guy to give me the list of the 10 top salespeople. And I just started following them around and watching what they were doing. Mm. And I ran into a guy named Yomi. Now, Yomi was doing one thing consistently. He was asking every single customer, where do you work? Mm. And I said, Yomi, why do you do that? Is that just to you know, build rapport? You'd be nice, make a connection. He's like, oh no, Karen, totally strategic. You see, Verizon didn't used to have good small business plans everybody's lines are with Sprint, but now we do. We are the best value in town. So mm. what happens is somebody is coming into the store to port their personal line to at and <laughs> right. But if I can find out that there is a business phone, because most people are afraid of this new thing called the iPhone for business for security reasons, if I can find out there is another phone in their pocket, I am bringing over five, 10, 20 lines at a time. Mm. I don't care about the personal lines. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I went back and I talked to my district managers and I said, Yomi's figured it out. And they went, oh, Karen, Yomi is Yomi. He's been our best salesperson forever. He could sell ice to Eskimos. We've tried the small business thing. It will never work. Mm. So now... Here's where you show up when I'm talking about one of my key principles for building culture, which is show up with confident humility. So I had, did not know, I had to have the humility to know they might be right. This might not work, right? right. Humility. So mm -hmm. I can't tell them this is the new strategy, but I have to show up with some level of confidence or they're not going to try it at all. Right. So I said, here's the thing. I don't know if this is our, going to be our long-term strategy, but what I do know is on next Tuesday, every single one of our employees is going to ask every single customer, where do they work? <laughs> wow. Okay. It will be a requirement. I am, this is my expectation, right? So came right. out strong. And then I said, so we're going to make it like feel like a holiday because when you're changing culture, if you're going to up the accountability, you also have to up the fun, right? Right. So we made it feel like a holiday. We put Red Bull in the back of all of our trucks. We made sure that <laughs> all hit. We hit all 110 stores. We put balloons in the stores. We dressed in costumes and went in the back before the stores opened. I did like these pep rally things. I did training to make sure everybody understood. Here's the thing. On that day, our sales quadrupled. Not our sales of just small business. Our total line sold quadrupled a random Tuesday. So I got everybody, the entire region, anybody who was working that next day on a conference call. And I said, here's the thing. If it can work on a random Tuesday, it can work any day. Mm. And then confidence. This is our new strategy. <laughs> and right. this is what we're going to do. Right. And, you know, then from there, we did a lot of different things to, you know, really reinforce the training, give people the skills, practice, uh, Made it be our most important thing, created clarity that selling to small business, asking every customer where they work was really, really vital. 
Now, here's the thing that got to, we, when I started there, we are, we are like 2% of our sales were from small business. We got to 8% of our sales were from small business, which is decent, but then we kind of plateaued. So mm. here's where we do what we'll, we talk about in the book of practicing the principle where, okay, you might need to do this different in different markets. So in Roanoke, uh, Virginia, you can't do the same things that you're doing in Washington, D.C. Right. And so we gave every team the opportunity and the leeway to think about their strategy, how they so we were clear about you have to sell small business. How you sell it is up to you. Come back and pitch your ideas. So in Washington, D.C., they said, you know, we got well, you know, lawyers, we got lawyers. That's who our small businesses are, lawyers and lobbyists. They don't want to come into a Verizon store and deal with a guy in a polo shirt, <laughs> right. right? So we gave people a stipend. They asked for a stipend of a couple hundred dollars so that the people could dress more professionally mm. so that it was more of a B2B sale. But in Cedar Bluff, Virginia, which is my only log cabin store, you don't want <laughs> suits, right? Because you've got farmers and contractors, people who really care about their businesses, and they want to be taken seriously and treated as professionals. So right. we, what we did was we changed the, um, the store and the, this log cabin had a loft at the top and we made a small business center. So these professional farmers and contractors could come in, have a snack, we could review their plans and they were treated with deep respect. That became our largest small business store. Oh wow! So that's the practice, the principle, right? Giving people, once you've created clarity about what it is that you're doing with the culture, then giving people ownership to, to be involved in co-creating that. So the end of the story is that when I was promoted out of that role, we were leading the, the nation. We won the president's award for customer growth. That demoralized sales team was now the winning revenue team. And it was awesome. because of their small business strategy. Man, and all those guys who thought this woman <laughs> who's never sold a thing in her life. Oh, maybe, maybe she knows what she's doing. <laughs> uh, a couple of them are my client now too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, thanks, Karen. Um, so that, that is a perfect introduction to some of the things that, uh, you know, I've seen the list that you want to share ahead of time here. So I've seen you've highlighted a couple of them. So if, if you don't mind, if you could, you know, I think you've got 10 really solid things that leaders need to be thinking about if they want to create a high performance culture, that's going to be sustainable. It's going to, it's not going to burn employees out. People are going to enjoy coming to work and they'll be able to perform over time. Um, so can you go through and just, we'll start off by just listing the 10 things that you think are most important to make this happen. And then we'll go deep on a couple that I think are, um, I think are extra interesting and we'll, we'll, okay. uh, explore how to execute on it for, for both me and, and the audience. Okay, great. So the first three are really universal and, and things we teach in every single leadership program we do, because I, I think they're so foundational. And you know, we always say, you can't always choose what you show up to, but you can always choose how you show up. So, you know, you can't, we can't teach you every leadership skill for any situation you may have or have, but if you start with these three principles, you're going to make, you're going to be doing good. So the first is be the leader you want your boss to be. Got it. If every single human being on this planet was the leader <laughs> they thought they wanted their boss to be, we would be in better shape. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> the next is, and I mentioned this in the story, is showing up with the confidence 
and humility, not confidence or humility, confidence and humility. So you think about this, like the confidence to stand up for what matters, to speak the truth, to have an audacious vision, coupled with the humility to surround yourself with the people who will challenge you, to know your vulnerabilities, both as an individual leader, as an organization, and to admit when you're wrong. And so think about like you have a a big challenging situation on your hands and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to have this really horrible, difficult conversation. I'm dreading it. Ground yourself there. How do I do this and show up with confidence that I can have this conversation and it will work? I'm going to make, you know, and the humility to understand I might learn something in this conversation that I did not know. And I need to keep an open mind and not just have this be a one-way conversation. So that's confidence and humility. And then the third I would say is focusing always on results and relationships. Results, you know, setting clear expectations, have a cadence of accountability towards those expectations, relationships, building genuine collaboration up, down, and sideways, getting to know the people you're working with as genuine human beings. As you would say, you wouldn't need to love them, right? (laughs) That's, you know, it's, and that's the and too, because when any of those things get out of balance, You know, if you've got somebody showing up with too much confidence at the expense of humility and too focused on results and not worried about relationships, you're going to have a user manager who's just tearing through things and people. Right. But if you've got the other side of things, you know, somebody's so humble and they're so, you know, focused on relationships, they're afraid of having the tough conversation, then you're going to have a pleaser manager and you don't want that either. Right. And so that's why this is all landing in the and. So those are the first three. Right. And, those are the, those know, are the those core are the, principles we can't live without. As, can't live as without leader. those, right? right? And those those three are really, you know, our first book was called Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. <laughs> and we it. really unpack all of that and give you really practical tools on how to do those, those three things. The seventh, you know, you said 10. I'm like, wow, 10 is a lot of things for folks <laughs> to deal with. But these other seven go together too. And this is really what we found in our Courageous Cultures research. So uh, we partnered uh, with the University of Colorado Social Research Lab on a really extensive research study on psychological safety and innovation. Mm. And and then took that research about why people were not speaking up, um, when they weren't speaking up, why weren't they, what, um, what kinds of ideas were they holding back and what was working, right? And so then we built seven steps to building a courageous culture with, again, very practical tools. So I'll just quickly go through those seven. Um, First, it starts with navigating the narrative. And that's simply, are you comfortable with speaking up yourself? Because if you tell your team, I really want your ideas and they should speak up, but they're watching you with your boss and you're not doing that, you know, Mm. they're not going to believe it. So it's, are you comfortable navigating your own narrative? so that's, you know, aligned with be the leader you want your boss to be, right? Right, right. So navigate the narrative, and then it's creating clarity. And this is clarity around two things. One, clarity that you really do want people's ideas in this culture that you're building, and clarity about what a good idea would accomplish. Mm. Because if you just say, hey, I have an open door, bring me any idea anytime, that feels really a, like a lot. But if you say, you know what? In this pivot to working from home, what I really am concerned about is the mental health of our employees. Do you have any ideas about that? Well, that's more specific, right? I I can give you ideas around that. 
And so a lot of the work that we do with organizations is taking their strategic initiatives and then being clear with those around folks uh, to employees and then helping the employees contribute those ideas. So navigating the narrative, creating clarity, then the third element in building a courageous culture is cultivating curiosity. And this is where we teach people to deliberately go out and proactively ask people for their ideas. And then from there, number four is respond with regard. So important because if you are asking for people's ideas and then when they bring you their ideas, you are not responding well, they're not going to bring you any more ideas. <laughs> That's right. You know, and uh, in our research, 49% said the reason that they do not share their ideas is because nothing ever happens anyway. Mm. And a lot of that is not that nothing's ever happening. Sometimes it's the loop isn't being closed, right? So respond with regard. Those are the four that I think are, are most critical at any level of the business, whether you have a your frontline supervisor and you have a team of 12 people that you're leading or whether you're the CEO leading anything. From there, these other three are more for the senior folks. So this is where we talk about, you know, uh, creating an infrastructure for courage, right? This is how does your onboarding support a courageous culture? How does your performance management systems, your rewards and recognition systems, how does your communication strategy reinforce all of that? Right. So creating an infrastructure for courage, practicing the principle which is, is what I was describing where the sales teams did different things in different markets. Right. Because one of the mistakes we found in our research was that people will get a great idea and they're like, okay, now everybody has to do this. And it may not work the same, but the principle could work the right. same. Right. So you give right? people the high level objective, like the, the, the strategic direction, let them figure out the tactics for executing on that strategy. Yeah, based you, must on sell, you must sell small business. Now tell me your best ideas for doing <laughs> right. that. Right? That's a practice, the principle. Right. And then uh, the other one is galvanizing the genius. And that is how do you bring your organization along and build this culture so that it lasts? So it doesn't, because so many people tell us when that, you know, oh my gosh, I worked for this company and they did a culture initiative. And, you know, the word flavor of the month comes up right. and then the next person came in and we had a culture initiative. And I think that word is, and so galvanizing the genius is, you know, don't, you don't have to go out and say, we're going to build a courageous culture. It's like, just start embedding the behaviors and teaching your leaders how to do these things. So that's 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is so much. I mean, obviously we could, we could make an episode just not going on each one of these, each one of these, I think could clearly be its own episode, maybe a couple episodes. Uh, you know, there's a couple, I think we could probably go into a little bit here today, which I would love to do. So one is, um, cultivating curiosity. So, you know, I, I, I think as I understand it, you know, it's the idea of creating clarity is you're, you're creating this, um, you're soliciting ideas in a general way, but you're you're creating clarity around what it is that you want ideas about, so that you're not overwhelmed and not able to even consider a, a number of these ideas. Cultivating curiosity is, if I understand this correctly, is going a step further, where instead of just waiting for ideas to come to you, you as a leader are actively engaging team members to get ideas from them. So, could we start off with? First, why do, why do you think this is important? Why do you think it's important for leaders to cultivate this type of curiosity where they're, as a practice, they're routinely engaging with team members and soliciting ideas from them, not just in some written survey thing, but face-to-face -face or 
zoom to zoom. Well, so if there's a, from a psychological perspective, there's a variety of reasons that this is really important, but, but I will start with here, like it, in a world where technology is taking away the easy stuff, you know, that it, the only differentiator you have when you're building a great culture, a great culture that serve, provides a great customer experience, a great culture where people want to come to work is the human connection and tapping into the creativity and the innovation of your people. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's a competitive differentiator. The second piece reason for this is that, you know, people are at, at this moment, every, the world is shifting, things have pivoted. If we think that 18 months ago, and you know, we watched this happen, right? Where some leaders will be like, okay, I know exactly what we're gonna do, follow me in the, in the pandemic. And right. then, I mean, how could they have figured out, they've never led through a pandemic before. Right. Or you have leaders who say, you know what? Show up with confidence, humility. I don't know exactly what's going to happen next, but here's the thing, I believe in this team and I know we can figure this out if we work together. Mm. So here's where, what I think we need to do next. Now, let me ask you, what are your best ideas to accomplish that, right? Now, instead of one person's brain, you have a structured way of having as many people as you ask that question to brain, who's going to come up with the better ideas, you know? And so that is the first reason for the why. Um, one of the things that we have been doing uh, with and, and it works virtually. We have done a number of these. We call them fishbowl competitions. So think Shark Tank, but friendly. So <laughs> right. what we'll do is we'll teach, we'll teach some of our basic courageous cultures tools. They're not hard. Teach them to folks. So they're A, learning critical thinking. Then we work with three of the company's strategic initiatives. And not initiatives that they've already got the whole plan all baked but areas where they really do want a great idea. Mm. So for example, um, a number of companies are, are ask, using this process for the DE&I initiatives, right? Because they haven't figured it out and they do want input from other people. And so what we do then is work in teams. So you sign up for the idea, you know, the, the area, the topic that you're most interested in, you work in small teams in a half a day and you're coming up using our tools, pitching, and then you pitch your idea to a shark which is a senior leader. right? And then those senior leaders pick the very best ideas. They respond with regard to everyone, giving additional information and all that. And then you eliminate that. And now you take your best three ideas and then the whole company gets to hear those best three ideas. Mm. And you will be amazed in a couple of hours, the quality of these ideas that have come out and we just finished one of these fishbowl competitions uh, with a company called K-Force and they're a big staffing company. And uh, we had been doing long-term leadership development work with them. Well, they wanted to culminate this with doing a fishbowl. They came up with 20 ideas that are so good, not just the winners, they captured all the ideas. <laughs> wow. And the president is like mapping them to his strategic plan. Like, oh, wow, that's super good. We're gonna, why don't we pull in this to there? So, you know, now, and how do you think people are feeling? They feel heard. They feel energized. Yeah. Right? And they've learned some tools that they can use on the smaller problems that they're faced with, with their teams on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. I mean, just uh, to the first thing that comes to mind uh, for me is, you know, I think especially when things are challenging, it's very easy to slip into a culture of complaining. 
right? Yeah. And it seems like what this is doing is it's saying like, hey, there, there's absolutely no use in that, right? Let's get everyone involved. And if there's a problem, let's hear your ideas for how to solve it instead of complaining about it. And we can maybe turn a weakness into a strength by doing that. Yeah. And you don't have to use all the ideas so long as you respond well. And you can, so you can imagine if you work for David and I, um, and you, we've written a book about, you know, bringing up your ideas. You can imagine our team is bringing us ideas all the time. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah. And they're not always great. Right? right. I mean, just like any other team, you know, so recently we had one member and she's like, I have this great idea. I'm like, that would be a great idea if we were headed in that strategic direction. Right. But you can't do it all, right? To be right. effective as a company, you have to have, and we're actually headed in this direction. So first of all, thank you for bringing us your idea. Here's a little bit more about where we're headed and why. And please keep bringing us any ideas you have about that direction, right? And so you still, she's still heard, even though we're absolutely not using that idea. And so I think that's, a, that's an important skill if you really want to build a culture that people continue to speak up. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's one of the principles that you've listed here is um, responding with regard because this happens. I think you alluded to it earlier in so many cultures where they, they say, we want ideas, we want ideas. And then people submit their ideas and they never, they never even know if their idea was read. Okay. Right. So, um, so what are some ways, you know, obviously one-to-one, -one, you know, if you have, if you just have a few direct reports, it's pretty easy to have a one-to-one -one conversation to thank somebody, you know, if you're, if you're in a company with thousands of, uh, of people or tens of thousands of people, uh, what, what are, what are your suggestions for making sure that when, that when people are submitting ideas, even if they're not acted on, that the people feel heard and they know that their idea was at least read and potentially even considered. Yeah. So the first thing I would do is train every manager to be able to respond with regard. And that is typically, you know, it's very, very easy. We have a three-step process. Gratitude. Thank you. Information. What's going to happen or not happen next? Or, you know, so, and then an invitation to continue to contribute more. Mm -hmm. So in that information stage, say you got you have an idea and you're going to use it. Fantastic, great idea, we're going to use it. This is how we're gonna use it. Say you get an idea that you're not gonna use. Um, it's half-baked, it's not where you're headed. Thank you so much, gratitude. Information, we're actually not going to be doing that right now and here is why. You know? And people are grownups, they can handle that. And then, or maybe you have an idea that's got potential, but it's not fully there. The, the information could be, I see a lot of merit in that idea. Let me give you some additional information. Here's some budget constraints. Here's some of this, here's some of that. Given that, can you think about where we could take this idea next? Or would mm. you like to be, continue to work on this idea? And, and so that's a very, that's where I would start because I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they, you know, they do like an employee survey and boom, it goes to HR or the senior team. And then it's just too much. I mean, we're working with the company right now, they have 67 pages of comments, right? Oh That's a lot. So you yeah. want to so make it as local as possible, especially if you're doing these surveys so that at the, at the team level, people can respond back. From there, I would say, you know, make it very visible what you are doing with the ideas and, you know, and I, that level of transparency, you know, so, okay, we, we heard your feedback, 
in our employee survey, you know, Gallup, a lot of people are using the Gallup survey. We heard your feedback from the last Gallup. Here are the five biggest issues that we heard. And here's what we're doing to address them. And be and communicate that. We talk about five by five communication, that anything is really important. You got to communicate it five times five different <laughs> ways, right? So don't just do that in one email. Then give your managers talk points so that they can address it. You know, mm. put it on your web intranet. You know, have other ways. Make sure you're talking about your end of year town halls so that it's they really know that their ideas are being taken seriously. And, and what is your guidance for empowering um, junior managers to be able to either make the call on whether the idea gets executed if it fits in with the strategy or triaging, and then submitting ideas up, you know, like, I guess it's obviously this is going to depend on the size of the organization, but I'm just curious your thoughts in terms of, um, you know, I I know I've heard Jeff Bezos say something that I thought was just ingenious, you know, is one of the things that helps their culture be so innovative, although I don't think they do everything right is that I was, I would imagine everyone agrees that not everything is correct in their culture by far, but no one can argue that they're pretty doggone innovative. Um, One of the things that I heard him say was, People can go to any manager to get approval. They, they can, if they go to their direct supervisor and they don't get a yes, they're allowed to go to other people <laughs> and mm-hmm. get a yes mm-hmm. from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, it, if there's somebody else that says, well, I see the merit of this and I want to execute it, they can. So just want to hear your thoughts on, I mean, that's, that's one approach potentially, but what is your guidance for the balance between letting a junior manager just kind of make the call and allocate a budget to an experiment or to executing on a, on a specific um, tactic, if it fits in strategically or triaging, you know, how, how do you generally recommend people do that? So we have two different tools that we train on for this that I think are really relevant here. One is we have what we call a strategic empowerment tool. And basically you have, it's, it's sitting down and making sure that anybody reports to you understands where they have authority to make mm. decisions. So are there like, so hard lines, guidelines, and your lines. And it was interesting. I built this tool because I was working with a very, very senior tech person and um, at a, a big company, I'm under NDA. I can't tell you which company, but the problem that she was faced with was that she's had a very senior team reporting into her some of them were running to her with and wanting it, you know, to run every single decision by the by her, which was mm, exhausting. Right. Others were just like going rogue, <laughs> doing <laughs> their stuff. Hey, that sounds and she good. Let's even go. <laughs> knowing about what they were doing, mm. and she's like, and I said, so we got to break this down. So we built this little tool, and she's like, all right, here are your hard lines. These are the things that you must do, like you can't, you don't have a choice. They're based on regulatory issues or safety concerns, right? Like you don't get any leeway. You do it this way. Right. Okay? And we all, everybody, every company has those, right? Right. Hard lines, guidelines. Here are topics where um, if, if you follow these criteria, like if, as long as you're within these, you know, doing it this way, you know, within this budget, within this, I'm good just let me know what you've done because I don't want to be blindsided by somebody saying, do you know what's happening in your team? And I'm not aware, but as long as it's meeting these criteria, I don't need to be involved in the decision. You may make that decision, your lines. And here are the areas like 
go. I don't even need to know, right? Like <laughs> right. how you choose to do your one-on-ones, how you're doing your development plan. You know, she's like, these things, I want you to lead the way you want to lead. Yeah. And just, she sat down and they worked on these hardline guideless um, soft lines together. And she's like, it just like overnight, all that nonsense calm down. Mm. So, you know, so we built that into a tool that we trained. So that's one thing, just being really clear about expectations about what people are empowered and not empowered to do. Right. And people don't get frustrated if they're disempowered, if they know from the beginning, that's not something that's, that's something that's off the table where people get frustrated is where they think they should be empowered. And they turns out that they're not. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we teach is how to present your idea in a way that it is more likely to be heard. And so we have, and you teach that all the way through the organization. Mm. And we call it the idea model because I love acronyms. So (laughs) who doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) I, why is this idea interesting? Meaning why is this idea strategically aligned with where we're headed? Because now you're getting people to think of, is this really a good idea? Because it's, is it going to complement our strategy? D, is it doable? Is it something that we could actually really pull off or would there a law need to be changed or something? It doesn't mean you're never going to tackle those kinds of ideas, but if somebody at, you know, junior is trying to present ideas, you want them thinking more about ideas that are actually doable. E, is it engaging? This is where you teach people to stakeholder and to see if anybody else thinks this might be interesting. Mm, So, um, you know, who else might need to be involved in this? You know, well, if it's an employee engagement idea that you have probably ought to check with HR and see what their opinion is on it. If it's a, something that's going to require a lot of funding, you might want to talk to somebody in finance, right? So you're teaching that to folks and then a, what are a couple of key actions? And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times people are like, I don't know. I'm afraid to tell my, bring any ideas to my boss. No boss. I, I'm pretty sure that pretty much no boss. If you went and said, I care about this company. I care about our results as a team. I have an idea. Here's why it's strategically aligned with where we're headed. This is why I know we can pull it off. Here's the other people I've already talked to who think it's a great idea. And here are a couple of next steps that I think, I, and I'd be happy to lead those. Even if they don't implement the idea, your boss is not going to be like, oh, I'm really mad that you brought me that (laughs) idea. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for wasting my time. Right. (laughs) Right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Oh, Karen, I could talk to you for about another three hours, but uh, then you'd you'd probably have to bill me. So um, (laughs) let's let's wrap up and just thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me here uh, on uh, Business Leadership Today. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Now, for those of you who would um, would like to see the the list of ten that uh, that Karen listed off, um, that will be in the show notes at businessleadershiptoday.com, as well as links to Karen's website um, and her new book, Courageous Cultures. And if you want to just uh, look in more into Karen directly, correct me if I'm wrong, Karen, but the website is letsgrowleaders.com. Is that yeah. correct? Okay, so you can find Karen at letsgrowleaders.com. Um, there's tons of great information there. You can sign up for her email list, um, get connected with her uh, show on LinkedIn. She's got a video show that she does every Friday on LinkedIn. So there's lots of great ways to stay connected with Karen. And until the next time I have a chance to uh, interact with you, my friend, and hopefully help you in some way, I, I wish you great success building a world-class organization that improves the lives of your team members and the global community. Bye for now. <laughs>